Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today we have a pretty Wolverine-themed episode, whether it's a title that he regularly appears in like X-Force or the pages of his recent miniseries. We're covering a lot of Logan today, and we're even throwing in a little bit more of that amazing S.H.I.E.L.D. discussion by another one of our awesome coverage groups. But first up, we're going to be taking a look at X-Force 15, and X-Force has been a wild ride from beginning to to end with a constantly rotating roster. Narrative has covered all sorts of mutant angles, and in this next segment, Robbie leads a room with Maddie, Evelyn, and Nathan as they take a look at the most recent issue, which basically had the entirety of X Twitter saying Beast is a jerk. I hope you guys enjoy listening as much as I loved editing it and learn as much about tarantulas as I did. Hey everyone, welcome to our session of Exit for Podcasts. Today we are going to be focusing on X-Force issue 15. My name is Robbie and you can find me at Age of Polaris. And with us we have... Hey, X-Pac, it's Nathan. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. Hey guys, it's Maddie, and as always, you can find me on Instagram at, at the Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. Hey guys, it's Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me at Comic underscore Canary on both Twitter and Instagram. Okay, X Force issue 15. For the creative team, we have Benjamin Percy, who is writing. We have Joshua Casera, who does art. Guru FX. On color artist, we have Joe Caramanga on letter, Corey Petit on production, and then we have Dean White joining Joshua on cover art. With this issue, we definitely are seeing the discussion of Omega Red and what's going on with him. And we see Jean Grey getting memories out of Colossus. So what are everyone's thoughts on this few panels? Holy jeez, I thought, I don't know, maybe it's just me, I thought Kitty would feature a lot more in his memories, but I mean, I guess he's, he's done with Kate now, but you know, I guess that's just me. <laughs> I I was a little surprised she didn't show up. I mean, it would be a really ugly read to say that Kate got too old. <laughs> oh, <laughs> snap. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't want to repeat that because I, I knew that was like rude as hell to Colossus. But like, Kate got too old. Sorry, like she, she, she's not in there anymore. I um, If there's two things that I want to call out, I want to call out the competency of both Ben Percy writing this and Joshua Cassara's art. Josh Cassara's art in this conveys so much movement despite being an otherwise stagnant piece of what feels like prose there isn't a lot of action in this save for the sentient vines that come in later but even so there is 
such life brought to these characters in the art and it's it's mirrored in the script as well that said x-force has not been my favorite dawn of x title it has been one of the titles that i feel is a little bit schizophrenic um we're gonna cut that because that is not appropriate to say despite no nah, fuck it i'm schizophrenic um we could say that uh i feel like x-force has been <laughs> a little all over the place and i i was really excited to see that it seems to be moving to, towards some sort of cold war conclusion yeah no i definitely can see that like oh like just the whole like the whole history between gene and hank right there like just like hank has destroyed that friendship that's one of his like oldest friendship and like i i'm just like ah where can he go from here that's good i don't think he can well he is becoming the most aggressively unlikable character in the x-books it's it's as i've as i've recently joined twitter all i've seen this week is peace is the fucking worst and I'm like, yeah, he kind of is the worst. So I'm coming into this where I was very neutral towards Beast my entire life. Like, he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. Like, he was just kind of there and just, like, a character that I didn't really have any strong feelings about one way or another. So to me, I almost like that we're getting him actually, like, doing something and having, like, very definitive actions, even if it's towards the next negative i feel like it's the opposite of character growth (laughs) (laughs) it's writing growth it's it's growth in the way that like he's actually doing something because i feel like he hasn't really like been doing much the last few years especially with like don of x he's just kind of been like a little jerk so (laughs) him be here it's like okay we're starting to see him and what he's about it's not a good thing it's it's it he's fun to dislike in a way if that makes any sense it does it does a point that i brought up in the green room is that he has not been this unlikable since he faked coming out of the closet in grand morrison's run just to elicit a response like oh that's the worst he is oh i forgot about that yeah he's he's like (laughs) steady been unlikable you know what i mean and i feel like I feel like if this is going to be what Beast's characterization is, okay, fine. Let's not forget a couple issues back, he robbed an old woman of horticulture, of her technology. I could, Would you imagine what that scene looked like if they didn't do it off-panel, robbing an old woman of her technology? Granted, you know, she's not she's not some bingo-playing granny. She is... She is <laughs> A competent force in her own right, but like that still is a large beast manhandling an old woman. Oh, absolutely. As much as they wanted to play up the whole uh wannabe golden girl aspects of holder culture, yeah, they were they were definitely a force to be wrecking with. And I, I don't have as much a problem with that. I just ah it it seems so strange because before he brought the young X-Men back to the future. Oh my god, haha. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he brought the old X-Men back in time uh forward in time, uh, because uh he thought that Scott was so far away from Xavier's dream. And right now, he's just like, ah, I, I can't even describe. He's like a bad James Bond villain. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, as, as I can't seem to stop mentioning, have, have probably uh, somewhere on the lower end of comic knowledge as it pertains to week to week collecting and, and consumption. But I've recently begun rereading a lot of the X-Men runs from the beginning, from the 60s, and in Stan Lee's original run. 
Beast, granted, you can say that this characterization for any male is a product of time, but Beast was especially rapey. Beast was especially misogynistic, like even by like 1967 standards. So I, I have had a, you know, poor taste in my mouth for Beast for a while. My first exposure to Beast was Grant Morrison's new, new X-Men. So we got the, the fake coming out there, which left a, left a bad taste in my mouth. Then of course we had, as, as Nathan just brought up, bringing the old X-Men back from the past, which is as short-sighted as can possibly be. (laughs) I, I almost wonder if this is going to be the book where Beast just becomes worse. Do we think that Dark Beast is is somewhere on the horizon? A transformation of Beast into Dark Beast? I, I could see that, but I, I have to say I like Dark Beast better than I like Beast right now. He's like I, a more I, I also like Dark Beast more. <laughs> Dark Beast owns his asshole qualities. Yes. He does he's not like he's not like, oh I'm a hero. He's like I'm a man of science. <laughs> I I don't know. I feel like this beast is definitely starting to own his assholeism. He's got to be. I mean, he he has to be. And I think that Ben Percy has honed in so well on Beast's particular cadence. I every time I read Beast, there is this glib sense of condescension that I just can't shake, and I love it. But I hate it because I want to hit him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, it's uh, it's. He's evolving out of this, like, Fraser Crane character into, you know, his his intellect is no longer the defining quality of him. I feel like it really is, he is the sum of all of his worst parts. Yeah. Yeah, and oh my god, that is how I'd always seen Beast before. I'd always seen him as, like, he's like this Fraser Crane type of guy. He's a little pretentious and, like, always thought he knows better than everybody else. But, like, he's still kind of a lovable buffoon. This guy is a, yeah. Well, speaking of worst parts, Omega Red. With Omega Red, I definitely did want to ask, how do we feel about him kind of being just let go? And what that means for his character and other people on Krakoa? I definitely find it interesting that they're keeping him there because he can be a dangerous villain so i actually like i said like between ten of swords and just everything else going on i kind of forgot what happened in x-force so i had to like go back and remind myself um and it's just like oh yeah that happened so seeing him it's like i feel like beast thinks too much of himself and he's like i got it covered i'm like mm do you? <laughs> he's resilient. Yeah, he is resilient. Like, uh, uh. I, I like, so I, I, I did have a little t- trouble struggling with, like, so they, like, killed Omega Ray to take the carbonizer out of him? I'm guessing that's what that was? Yeah, it seems like the, the, the plot of X-Force moving forward as it pertains to Omega Red seems to be also bleeding into the plot of the Wolverine solo title. <laughs> which is that Omega Red is going to be outfitted with a new carbonadium synthesizer so that they can track him with it via homing beacon and also get surveillance so that they can infiltrate Dracula's hold. Mm-hmm. That was my read on it, at least, unless yeah. I'm unless I'm completely off base. No, I read the same thing, and I like what Wolverine says, where he's just like, you don't want to fuck with these fucking vampires, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You definitely like, don't. <laughs> no fucking with the vampires. Please, no. <laughs> Storm, I'll tell you that. I mean, come on. Like, epic. <laughs> 
So with Jean's kind of progression over the series, I really wanted to hit on how we're seeing the way that she gets information out of people and how she sort of um, is able to kind of set boundaries with other characters. Like, like with this issue in particular, she makes it clear that she is not to be disturbed. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that probably would fall in line with where X-Force stands in terms of necessity on the island of Krakoa. Now that we have X-Factor, X-Force seems a little bit redundant to me because we don't seem to be focusing on, sure, this is this is a thinly veiled metaphor for Russian collusion, right? The storyline. Yeah. But thinly. Thinly, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was being kind because I'm on Twitter now and I don't want to get yelled at. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to get yelled at by Twitter people. I'm a They're little... literally like, does he know anything about the Russians? Like, yeah. do, do you know anything literal. about the Russians? Let's question the only Russians. So, so knowing that this is that this isn't a heavy-handed allegory for Russian collusion. That aside, this seems to be more of an internal matter than it seems to be an international matter. So I think it's a little bit short-sighted to not include X-Factor in this investigation. Sure, it's not an investigation into, into a mutant uh, disappearance, nor is it a investigation into a resurrection protocol. But I think that Rachel Summers would have had a defter hand in this interrogation vis-a-vis chrono-skimming. I think oh, yeah. I think her chrono skimming would have given a little bit more of an accurate depiction of the last days and whereabouts of these characters more than Jean broadly skimming through a vat of memories. Mm. That is a really good point, actually. I, I, I like Jean being the person to do it because I like the whole confrontation and just like the ideological differences between uh, Jean at this point and Hank at this point. Um, and, and I like seeing that dissolution. I mean, I didn't like seeing it, but I like the description of that sort of dissolution of their friendship. Um, and, and I did. I love Jean putting her foot down and be like, nah, I ain't gonna fucking fuck with this shit. You guys are on your own. So, <laughs> Evelyn, did you have anything you wanted to add? About Jean or in general? Uh, <laughs> Gene or the Russian part? <laughs> how, how do how do you feel about Russian people? <laughs> no, oh, be okay. So my best friend from childhood is Alexandria Vladimirovna. So wow. Yeah. So, so Jean should be interrogating shout you. Shout out to her. <laughs> So, like, my best friend from childhood actually is Russian. Um, I only know swear words. Um, ah, yes! <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, with Jean, I, I think that I like how she doesn't feel like she's being too intrusionary with this. I feel like she has in the past gone a little too far with interrogations. So I'm liking this Dawn of X gene, which we've all said so many times on this podcast, we can't get enough of like Dawn of X gene where she just seems like a better person. (laughs) She's, she's just doing better. She, she just like went through the memory. She didn't dig too deep. She Mm -hmm. knew looking for, and when she didn't find it, she's like, cool. Awesome. So I appreciated it. I think this is growth from her 
her character and her character being written well. Yeah, I, I think it segues into um, like the new going forward where it seems like they're setting up Scott Jean to like be like the heroic X-Men team they're going to run. I mean, that it seems like she's really distancing herself from all this for Cohen Black Op stuff because you just, it just doesn't sit well with her. Yeah, I definitely agree with I'm very, very excited to see where that one team eventually forms into and to see like how they're going to, I guess, pick up or continue from where Jean is in like this series. And who knows, like if she will even be like in both books still. That would be interesting to see if Jean is still in both titles or if she only occasionally appears in X-Force. I kind of just want to see her show up to slap Hank every now and then. Then, but that's well, given their track record in this, it, it will <laughs> probably happen. <laughs> uh, anybody want to talk about some freaky, uh, freaky Krakoan vines? Yes, 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 yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Ah, yes, those are like crazy. I love them, like the big giant squid, too. Like, oh, now this is a this is a question that I posed in the green room, but Evelyn, you weren't with us, so I will I will pose it to you here the orb that seems to be uncovered during krakoa's shift during the tectonic plate shifting that Mm -hmm. is imbued with the vines have we seen that before i i admittedly have not revisited x-force since it launched i've yet to do a comprehensive reread to current so i'm I'm a little fuzzy i did a brief look through and i don't recall seeing it Nathan, you had a you had a good read on it. What was that? I, I was thinking it was the same sort of uh, like technology or or kind of creature as like the nesting doll kind of thing. So that that's what I was thinking. But like, there's really nothing to specifically link it together. But my my guess personally is that there are ties to Terra Verde. Uh, from oh, yeah. volume one of X-Force. <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. Because those guys. Oh, my God. I forgot all about that. Yeah, the vine. Oh. Yeah. So that that would definitely be my read. Robbie, how did you feel about seeing these these vines here uh, taking over, taking over not only uh, the ocean life, but it seems to be all organic life that it comes into contact with? Well, it definitely uh, looked terrifying. It was definitely a good cliffhanger to see because with most of the issue, it felt like kind of stagnant. And this is like, all right, let's kind of pick it up a bit. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like stagnant is is the perfect word for X-Force at the moment. I think a lot of that has to do with just general pacing issues it's it it is nothing to do with the quality of the content but for that matter you know kayla right the the mysterious pink skinned lavender skinned bow of colossus we finally we finally saw her power she's hydrokinetic i suppose she draws the water out of beast in a scene that i could have watched unfold (laughs) i could have watched for like five full pages but so we finally see see her abilities, you know, showcase. But the Colossus and Kayla stuff isn't moving anywhere for me. Jean's contempt for Beast isn't moving anywhere for me. The Russian collusion allegory isn't moving anywhere for me. So I was as as far as B plots are concerned, I was so thankful to see these vines come into play because this is going to hopefully set up action for issue 16 and that's really what i'm missing i understand that this isn't a big beat-em-up book i understand that this isn't x-men 
But that said, there is more to mutant diplomacy than bureaucratic dilly-dallying. Like that last panel. That last panel was just perfect. I cannot credit Joshua Kassara enough for being able to convey such emotion and such motion in his art in what is otherwise a book about a lot of talk. Yeah. I kind of want Kelpie from the Union to be like exactly like Kayla because like, holy jeez. I wish. I, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> God, shout out. Shout out to the Union. I really hope that it survives the unfortunate circumstance of being introduced as a King and Black tie-in. <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is not a, not a shot against King and Black. I actually think that King and Black is a really competent crossover so far. But I feel like... It's so hard to have a book's success hinge on its introduction being midst of a crossover. Yeah, I feel like Black Cat has a chance to survive that, but mm, Union, <laughs> we'll see we'll about that. See. <laughs> Maybe they just gotta they've gotta solve the Britannia mystery. I I heard Black Cat as Black Hat. Like uh, like an article of clothing, and now I'm just imagining like cloak from Cloak and Dagger meets Bugs Bunny. It's just a man in an oversized top hat that he can like pull down around himself and create like shadow portals. Holy shit, that's awesome! Marvel, give me a job. Coming at you with fire. I really, really want to see that now. These oh ideas my god, fuego. uh, pulling back to (laughs) x-force going back to x-force so one thing that i really wanted to point out is or discuss i mean is do you all think beast's apology as genuine or do you take it more as something that he did sort of out of guilt i think he had to do it i think he did it because he knew he fucked up with gene and he's like uh fine i gotta fix this yeah i i'm choosing a third option which is that it's a it's a it's a calculated ploy to to feign empathy and sympathy i i don't think that there's guilt because at this point i think that beast has moved beyond the thought of guilt i think that beast is able to conscionably justify all of his actions as being a man of science so I think that I think that he did it to save face, like Nathan said. But I don't think I don't for a moment think that there was guilt or remorse. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, I don't see <laughs> any type of uh, genuine apology in any of this. <laughs> no, no way. I, I just like Maddie said, like it, it, he's beyond that. You know, just like sometimes, like we say, like Wanda's beyond like normal people think. Like Hank's just beyond normal people emotion at this point. Because like uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like if he really felt that bad about it don't you think he would have changed his mind about what happened with colossus to begin with like not actually doing that (laughs) (laughs) can can i be a little crass for a moment go for it yes (laughs) i hope i hope in my heart of hearts that the first thing that colossus does with those paints is a comically large canvas painting of Beast getting pegged by Gene. <laughs> and I want it to be a gift back. I want him to say, thank you, thank you so much for these pains. It's really helped me work through some of my emotion. And just give him a painting of being pegged by Gene. And I really hope the Beast binds himself sexually impotent afterwards. I really, I really hope that it unlocks something in Beast that he is like never able to reconcile with himself. 
Oh my god! So, if I'm, if anyone draws this, I will love you forever. I'm I'm clearly I'm clearly going through some things right now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will I will keep that in mind for next year's uh, Secret Santa Art Exchange. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. You wanna you wanna see some uh, furry blue pegging? We got you. Nice. Somebody has to make that now. Oh my god! <laughs> you, you know I I'm gonna call him out because of all of the people that contribute to the show. I think the person who can do that the quickest is Chongo. Uh, so <laughs> Chongo, when you listen to this, um, I got a favor for you, bud. That'd <laughs> 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 be a great place to cut. <laughs> do we have any thoughts on Domino and Black Tom's appearance? Because I know we referenced it in talking about how great that final splash page was. But there was some comedy gold here. Uh, there was some heartstring tugging. It seems like uh, poor Rufus, uh, sweet doggy Rufus, is uh, oh my god, has not as Jonah would say, survived the experience. Oh, poor doggy! I, that that upset me so much. I, I got like, no. upset. <laughs> poor yeah, Parker. you know. Funny enough, when I was reading it, I like thought of uh, Evelyn reading that and being like, "Oh no." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know what is it with the xbooks like killing a kitten in one issue now they kill the dog yeah, I, I, I mean like what's next i i am to cats as evelyn is to dogs and like i am you, you all animals i love i just love all animals i even had a pet spider for a little while like did you really I just love oh Aww. i had I had a little tarantula, um, but I'm assuming it was a male because he only lived a few years. Oh. But he was a good little boy. He just oh. sat in his web and he was just munching on crickets. He was the goodest boy. My tarantula was technically a rescue. <laughs> oh, wait, what? How do... Okay, okay. I have to know this. <laughs> My high school teacher had a tarantula that had babies. And he like it had like a hundred babies and he had no idea what to do with it. And so through the the local laws, he couldn't give away the baby spiders. He had technically had to sell them. So he sold them to everyone for 25 cents. And I thought my mother was gonna like kill me. But you know who wouldn't have killed you? Black Tom. Yeah. Black Tom loves all things. The veg is not displeased by spiders. <laughs> they they give manure, right? Or what was it? Yeah. I <laughs> I I have to call out, you know, because the the first thing as as admittedly a a cis hetero leaning male, I I moved into the epilogue of this issue on a beach splash of Domino and I was in love. Like I couldn't <laughs> I I just couldn't stop looking at Domino and Daisy Dukes in a sports bra. <laughs> I I was living for it. And I didn't think that anything was going to break my gaze until <laughs> until Black Tom drops the line. You know, every time he drops a deuce, we can take it. Uh, we can taste it, referring to the dog. <laughs> and he goes, the veg isn't displeased, I should say. So Black Tom likes the taste of dog shit. Um, <laughs> and if there was anything that broke my comic boner, like that was it. <laughs> that was suddenly like, oh, nope, that doesn't do it for me. Rings no bells. 
<laughs> okay, but like, did Domino like just like sit there all day and like just like make him a mermaid? Like, what? I hope so. I really part of me like when I when I read it the first time because I I, I read issues like twice because I just don't retain things like a goldfish. <laughs> and the first time I read it, I was like, oh, that's cute. Black Tom made himself a, a mer person in the sand because it would be so easy for him, right? On a second read, I am convinced that Domino did it. I'm convinced oh, that same. part of her healing oh, yeah. is just taking mental health days. And she was like, all right, Black Tom, you want to be a mermaid? Let's do this. <laughs> there's, yeah. And there's so much attention to detail. He has a necklace. He has little hands. He has his tail. He has like He's little kelp tail feathers. He has seashell boobs. He is It's perfect. so well done. Yeah. Domino is Art. an artist. She truly is. <laughs> but like, uh, just the thought she's like, oh, he's a rescue dog. And like under the next page, the dog dies. I'm just like, oh, they go mad. Sorry. And I hate it when they kill puppies and kittens. And you books. know what the worst thing is? Because this is just the Beast hate parade. Uh, I would say the worst part about that is Beast could probably, with his big old brainiac mind, uh, find a way to save the lives of these people who have been like inhabited by the vines. But he won't. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he yeah. won't do it. No, he because won't. because what gain is there in it? What 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 gain do you have to bring a dog back? I would frankly, if I were Domino, I'd be like, this dog was a mutant. The five, come on, dog was a mutant. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, his mutant power was being incredibly cute and having. Oh, a <laughs> oh. He his his mutant power was having the best waggly tail. Oh, yes, absolutely. Best boy. <laughs> okay, so the vines. So what, I don't even know if you guys know this, but like my, I went to college for marine biology. And so biology, like that's my shit. I, I love it so much. So the vines like really spoke to me. And I'm going to say right now, my guess is that it's a mutant plant type of thing right here. Um, like this ancient, ancient creature that has been unearthed is pretty much how I read it. And it definitely, to me, feels like it has like potentially like fungal invasive property or something like um, a poison oak where it just takes over as like a parasite. And it's definitely has parasitical qualities. And seeing it just take that will was just that was just a great page for me I thought the panels were really well done and it's like oh no poor whale but at the same time as like seeing the whale come out and like attacking a ship like as a biologist I'm like that is dope <laughs> like that whole thing I I want to posit another guess because I my original guess is that the vines were of origin on Terra Verde I want to posit a guess that mm. these vines were a Krakoan tumor, because oh, let's not forget oh. that no, no place was referred to as a Krakoan tumor. And with the, because what does cancer do? Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. We're going to discuss cancer now. Um, <laughs> what does cancer do? Cancer is a response to a body's cells rapidly multiplying. That's what cancer is. Cancer is an abnormality of rapidly multiplying cells. Yeah. The vines were yeah. uncovered during Krakoa's rapid expansion. So I feel like there is a little bit of a metaphor there. It was the rapid expansion of Krakoa that unearthed this tumor. I wouldn't be surprised if these are vines that Krakoa does not have control over. Ooh, I really like that idea. That's pretty cool. And, That's and like, another I wonder... really great idea. I like that a lot. 
the tectonic changes in Krakoa, is that due to Arako being back? Like, I know we don't know anything about that yet, but like, are they like joining? Are they like moving closer together? Like, is that what's going on on Krakoa? Well, we know Krakoa is moving, which again, like the humans are getting like pissed off that Krakoa is constantly moving. Krakoa must always be adapting. Yeah. Oh, Evelyn, you were talking about when the the the, the sea caps, right? What they were saying? Yeah, like the sea captains was what I was responding to, where he says, "How the blank are we supposed to keep track of <laughs> island when it's always on the blank move?" And the guy's like, "I agree, sir. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn when I say the mutants are extremely blank annoying." And at, like I can understand a little, like where the humans are coming from. I feel like yeah, Krakoa maybe it should stay in place so it's a little bit easier for the humans to like keep up with and keep track of. That way they don't have to like constantly move around. But on the other hand, I'm just like no, mutants have had to accommodate for humans for so long. Let the humans accommodate for them for once. So I feel like like it neutrals out for me. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, like thinking of Krakoa, like because Krakoa is sentient, it is a mutant. And the fact that it can do this is just so freaking incredible. And like, I just, oh, as a biologist, I would just want to study like just everything and like down to like the cellular structure of this. Because I'm a nerd. You know, one thing I did want to ask when it comes to like the, um, with you mentioning the vines and stuff. How, like, based on, like, I guess the length of the vines and, like, the coloring of the vines, like, how does it differ from, like, quote-unquote normal vines? (laughs) (laughs) So, it definitely has the feel of, um, of, like, the vine, of, like, the parasitic vines you get from, like, the rainforest. Whereas these vines, they just, they creep up the trees and they steal the sunshine and like poison oak where it literally like starts stealing nutrients straight from the tree and everything. That's what I was kind of like reading it as. I don't know if like the writers like went that deep, but I uh. definitely did. And just like, it, it gives me like kind of poison ivy vines, like a feel a little bit for those DC fan nerds out there. <laughs> oh, like oh, it really oh, gave oh. me that kind of vibe. Yeah, they do look a lot I like just, I just love it so much. It basically, it reminds me of this um, parasite that infects hornets that literally just like controls the hornets and like mind controls them to, to doing what it wants to like eat a certain thing to like give the parasite the nutrients it needs before it like basically has a million kids and like explodes the hornet. And I just, I think <laughs> that this is just awesome. I'm, I love gross things. I'm sorry, everyone, but <laughs> It just, that's what it kind of, like, feels like to me. fascinating. Like, like I didn't know much of that. Like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That is, actually. There's there's a similar fungal parasite that affects ants uh, very much in the same way. And it takes, takes, like, home in their brain. And then (gasps) at some point, their heads heads literally explode. It's a zombie ant. Yeah, it's a zombie ant. So what happens is, it's like, think of like Left 4 Dead. If you ever played Left 4 Dead, it was like the big bloated zombie that would like blow up and like the the gas would infect you. Uh, The spores will rain down from the exploded ant head and affect all of the ants in the surrounding area, propagating the parasite. 
crazy shit. That is so insane. Oh my god, that's insane. I like love that. That's like, wow, okay. Now I'm thinking of it differently. I'm like, woo! Uh, like, the one thing, though, guys, like, I, I think we have to talk about the data page where Beast override the five on the resurrection protocols. Like, oh, yes. Holy oh, because that's crazy. I just noticed that the editor was Beast. I literally just noticed that header that beast was of course it was of course right i mean like it's some shady skeezy stuff it's got to be beast so <laughs> oh yeah when and, i and read xavier, that it was like uh yeah <laughs> and xavier co-signed on it of course xavier co-signed on that because like i i think he's like beast like giving him lowies or something but you know whatever <laughs> that's my final thought <laughs> I just can't wait to see what's going to happen next with these vines specifically. Like, I'm just, I'm a sucker for this kind of thing, for, like, zombie stuff and, like, biology craziness. Like, it's, like, that's just my alley. It's, and I'm just, I'm sitting porch with some popcorn just waiting. <laughs> oh, I love me some zombie shit, though, too. Yeah, oh, my God. I'm, I'm really hoping with the next issue, all this uh, fun vine stuff definitely picks up the pace a little bit (laughs) hey guys nico here again and i loved our previous coverage of wolverine black white and blood and i loved it so much it made me say you know why am i sleeping on this book and it's part of our expanded coverage where we're making sure to cover every title with mutants from all the angles we can Here, Jonah and I are joined by Kyle, who had been a part of the original discussion group, as he gives us some perspective on how they felt about it. Jonah and I weigh in, and then the three of us take a look at the standout second issue, which featured more aspects of Logan and an incredible array of creative teams. We hope you guys enjoy this as much as we enjoyed making it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico Action, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. And we hope you survived this experience, unlike those rascals in Madripoor that tried to kill my precious Kate. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna rewind us. I'm I'm gonna rewind us, I guess I'm Mario today, right? About two weeks ago, we had coverage of this book already, and I listened to the coverage, and I was like, you know, I I feel bad because I kind of put off reading this one. Like, it just sort of sat on my tablet forever, and I was like, oh, okay, well, let me give it a read. And I read it, and I don't disagree with the coverage we did of the first issue, but I kind of realized something about it, and I wanted to take a step back. We're here to talk about Wolverine, Black, White, Blood, orange turquoise magenta point two but i want to take a step back and i want to look at both issues of wolverine black white and bloody blood blood red red sanguine blood orange now before we do anything else we need to talk for a moment about logan right and what about logan your logan right so the term that we've been using a lot for this show is canonist right and we've been talking about how we're all kind of canonists in our own way right josh immediately defaults to early 90s right so whatever it is he's like yeah but that was when it was important and that's the version that we should keep and i'm like yeah but there's been 30 years of canon since and then i'm like but new x-men is all that matters and nathan's like you know there's been other stuff but new x-men and like we kind of go with this over and over again right for me wolverine is best as a mentor who has learned the error of his ways i like wolverine teaching kitty teaching rogue 
teaching Rachel, teaching Jubilee, teaching Marrow, teaching the school. You guys, I'm realizing a pattern. I think I like him when he's teaching. Huh. Is it your connection as a teacher? No, because we're very different kinds of teachers. So I'm kind of like, yeah, no, what you're thinking could be right. And he's a little bit more like, everyone you know is going to die. Just deal with it. And it's a very different kind of teaching. Except me. Yeah, he can't die. Now, none of them yeah. can die. Yeah, right? that's true. Good point. Right? No one can die. Karma even pointed that in the amazing debut issue by Vita and Rod over in the pages of New Mutants this week. So here's what I want to know. Kyle, you're Logan. Who is your Logverine? When I think of Wolverine, I kind of default to Giant Size era. So you're like a classic, classic yeah, Logan class, guy. Yeah, Giant Size through Outback era. That's pretty much where I stopped with my straight through read. I enjoyed New X-Men, but he didn't exactly click for me in that. And the once I really started my more current modern reads, he was already dead. So... This is me really, I, I've really only had that classic Wolverine. Fascinating. Now, Jonah, your relationship with Wolverine is a little bit spottier because like you've read like 10 years here and a couple of books there and then the last few months. So what is your relationship with the Knucklehead? I have two versions of Logan that I really appreciate and enjoy. I, like Nico, really like teacher Logan, especially when he has, and more often than not, he's often paired with a young woman and he often teaches them because I feel like Wolverine is someone who's a lot more softer if he has to deal with a younger woman because I feel like he'd be more afraid of whether yelling at them or something along those lines. I think he's a little bit easier to handle when you're like, you give him puppy dog eyes and you're like, Logan, no. And he goes, okay. Um, And then my other favorite kinds of Logan is when he gets really hot-headed and he's an asshole and he calls uh Charles Chuck and he's like, I'm short. Don't make short jokes. Kurt, let's go get a beer. Like, that's the kind of Wolverine I like. Oh, and Storm, you're beautiful. Let's go fuck Yukio. <laughs> you know, the only thing I will say is I don't think we've ever gotten that polycule. We've gotten it like mono. Well, I guess dual cue, dual, 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 but we've never really had the three of them like, hey, three partners, one bathtub. And the best way I can summarize it is I enjoy Wolverine when he's with his friends. Solo Wolverine is like kind of fine, but oftentimes solo Wolverine is way too much in his head and he goes way too far into a downward spiral of every mistake he's ever made literally like since the second grade of what's been wrong with his life and it's kind of like a therapy session for him which is kind of fine but too relatable it's not what i'm going to comics for i'm going for escapism i'm not going for realism there so we do have three very different wolverines with like some overlap right like kyle you're all about that gsxm life right <laughs> now jonah it sounds like you prefer a kind of like uncanny team Logan right now I specifically like him in a sort of teaching Quentin choir about space poker kind of way so you know I, I think we all have three very different eras of Logan that we love and there's like I said overlap and Wolverine black white and blood seems to exist to hit all of those eras of Logan and again I have no disagreement with the interpretation or the review that our previous coverage held of the first issue but I think we all read it as people who know Logan. We all read it as people who understand him. Now, while I'm not saying that the Hox Pox era is the greatest sales era in X-Men history by any stretch, it is important to note that this new era 
the Hoxpox of it all, seems to have really brought new fans in. And these new fans are probably familiar with Wolverine in some way or another, but they may be coming to it with just movie knowledge or just an animated series knowledge. Perhaps they know one animated series and not another. They might know Wolverine and the X-Men or Evolution or the classic. And even in the film franchise, Logan from the first film to Logan at the end of Logan are completely unrelated characters in so many ways. And I think this miniseries, by telling three short stories per issue for four issues, is looking to give us a holistic understanding of Logan from 12 perspectives. Now, I personally am like King Canonist, and I want every issue and I want every omnibus with every bit of special features and every backup thing. I want to know how the script changed and what it looked like when this other artist drew it for a minute before they changed art. Like, I need all of that. But if you don't need all of that, this miniseries is a perfect crash course on who Logan is. Now, Kyle, I know you were a part of that original group that covered the first issue where you guys talked about The Beast Within by Dugan and Kubert, I Shall Be a Wolf by Rosenberg and Kassara, and Cabin Fever by Shalvi. And these three stories, each running like eight pages, are really kind of fascinatingly transformational. I think that first story is meant to reflect that early 90s sort of Barry Windsor Smith kind of weapon X, but instead of making you read a bunch of stuff that's kind of not canon anymore, and a bunch of stuff that doesn't really get referenced featuring characters no one remembers, they're giving you an easy eight-page crash course so you can hand wave the fucker away. They give you I Shall Be a Wolf, which kind of feels to me like somewhere between Nick Fury, the Scorpio connection kind of spy shit, and sort of that Nick Fury, Wolverine, buddy team up feel from the late 80s and kind of Wolverine enemy of the state agent of shield early aughts kind of vibe right well late aughts kind of sort of and then that third one is just sort of Logan story overload now Kyle we got your take on these earlier on Jonah was one of these stories more important to you or did one of them leap off the page from the first issue it would probably be the weapons X story which is the first story they talk about when I first read this I literally had no idea what I was getting into I thought this was just going to be kind of like another Wolverine solo series but this title was actually very useful for me because I don't know everything about Logan and this kind of gave me the brief synopsis of kind of everything that happened so the first story of the Weapon X which is a huge part of his backstory and a huge part of you know the X verse that you know is in a lot of characters that we come to love looking at you my cuckoos and Phantom X that it, it's really a huge part of the Marvel history so having that story and understanding where Weapon X came from and what that meant for Logan Logan was really nice. Now, my feelings on this Weapon X story was it kind of read in about 30 seconds. And it really did shorthand as a quick understanding of the Weapon X program. It kind of especially bridged the film version of the character and the comic version of the character. And Weapon X is essentially the entry point you need into Logan's backstory. It gives readers a chance to figure out why Logan is a monster. I mean, the scars run deeper. And if you've read Origin, you know that they go back to childhood. But there's a false belief that this is why Logan is the savage berserker. And the title uses its limited color format to kind of like bear the bare truth of the character. It's who the Wolverine is issued out in a very plain form. If you've read Weapon X or the classic Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X Marvel Comics Presents Multiparter, it would make sense that this story feels kind of boring or rehashed, but the title is really trying to express, express the best of Logan's storytelling and often the worst of his character in these bite-sized elements. I would very much acknowledge that if you've read Logan before, this is just a framing sequence.
sequence and kind of nothing more. Kyle, this first story, I remember you said that it just sort of felt like more of the same. Have you read a lot of Weapon X or has culture and media done enough to give you a sense of Weapon X that that's why this felt rehashed? It's mostly been culture and media that have made me feel like it's been rehashed. I'm aware of the stories around that period, and I I haven't actually read them myself. Uh, I honestly haven't really felt motivated to even go search them out. I've said before that Logan's stories really aren't my favorite, so it's, it's never really been that high of a priority for me. And but but just knowing that it's it's another instance of him with that headgear and the Weapon X scientists pretty much throwing him at an obstacle and seeing what he does. It's just like, oh, okay. And I do really think understanding that they're trying to tell us that this is Logan in a work mode. Like Weapon X Logan is like, it's, it's Riri. You got to see it, do it, work, 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 work. And Drake appears in the middle of the song. <laughs> but it's that second story where I maybe kind of, I am, I'm just such a Logan guy. I still a little bit rolled my eyes at this. I Shall Be a Wolf had something that uh, I love funny, crazy Logan. Like my idea of a good time is Logan at the end of Assault on Weapons Plus, the penultimate arc of Grant Morrison's, oh no, the anti-penultimate arc of Grant Morrison's new X-Men. And at the end, Logan's like, I'm gonna blow stuff up in that amazing Chris Boccolo art with the deranged face, you know, about to destroy the world, the world location, not the world, you know, planet world, right? And so here we have Logan tied up in a chair and he's like, yeah, boss. I'm tied up in this chair, ha ha ha. And the Hydra guy is like, yeah, I have the advantage. And Logan's like, but do you? And he's like, yeah, here are all the ways. And Logan's like, that one's not that smart. And the guy's like, oh no, you might be right. And like the whole thing really kind of plays out like aren't Nazis feeble, which I appreciate. Nazis are feeble. But this was the story in the first issue where I kind of shrugged, I guess. I was like, oh, yeah, Logan probably has a bomb on him somewhere or he has poison laced into his body and he's slowly poisoning them. Logan doesn't really get tied to a chair so hard. Like, he's not James Bond, where you need an exact timing to blow him out of the chair and save the day. He's Logan. He'll just gnaw through his hand. Like, so the idea that the bomb is in him kind of goes to the heart of what I don't love about Mark Miller and Mark Guggenheim. Maybe it's a Mark thing. Versions of Logan where they can regenerate from a drop of blood and they can face down Satan to come back from the dead. And as long as their good old bones are there or whatever, I don't know. But it's not that this story was bad. Right. Just like I thought that the Dugan story wasn't bad. I've probably read too much hyper violent Logan to really give a shit about this story. Right. How did you guys feel stepping into this Logan so violent kind of narrative for a few pages? I liked it more than than the first story. Honestly, this this Logan was one that I haven't seen as much of or heard as much of. So seeing the actions of both him and Fury and the results of that, as well as going kind of going back and forth, seeing how they actually planned everything out, it kind I was somewhat intrigued by it. I guess. <laughs> 
I was amu- amused. The judgings, the judges were interesting. That being said, I while I enjoyed this story, I really, really, really did enjoy the art, and I think the overall narrative of using three colors of black, white, and red was really fun. And I know saying that about a story about murdering Nazis, fun, sure. I don't know if I cared for the full narrative, but I wish I know what I would have wanted to see more of, which is the friendship between Fury and Wolverine because I think both of them are very hot and I hope that they just, you know, recognize that and have fun with one another, whatever that may look like. So I really wanted more of that and I was longing for that out of that story. I think the rest of it was fine. To be fair, Logan's not that smart, so. And it had the sort of trappings that I needed. I don't love Logan killing everyone. Like, Logan kills 32,000 hand soldiers in Enemy of the State and Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'm like, oh, this day must be very busy with death then like what a boring Tuesday that must be just more murder all day so like giving us a reason to kill them oh it's Hydra agents all right I think the story that maybe knocked me back a little bit more than the others was cabin fever and what's interesting is generally the four people who covered this story the first time said cabin fever was kind of far and away their favorite for the most part my biggest issue was it with it was that it was not a Wolverine story it was a story Wolverine happened into. He smelled a child in danger and everyone's dead and then more people come to do more murderings and Logan's like ha-cha-cha, stabby-stab-stab, look at all the red. So then he's carrying out this baby and it turns out it was the sheriff all along. And I just wanted to be like, would the creepy caretaker have gotten away with it if it weren't for you damn kids and this dog? Like, there was something so he just happened into this mystery that is not my Wolverine. But I think because Wolverine is a character so famous for appearing so much so consistently there was a drive and a desire to put him in sort of those more how did that happen kind of stories I genuinely don't care for them as a rule he's kind of like oh well shit Logan's in another mystery that's not my thing Logan has a line of bodies behind him and a past so complicated that there's no reason to throw him needlessly into bad situations I don't need Logan to be walking down an alley and come upon a mugging there's enough people trying to kill the people that Logan loves, that his day should be plenty busy with protecting them. This idea that Logan is the law in a lawless world became very popular just before his death. Sort of this late 2010s, mid 2010s kind of thing, just before he died, where suddenly there's a reason for Logan to be involved in everything. Now, Kyle, I know your team, the last time you guys talked about this, were really pop, were really positive on this issue. Now, I'm not like saying anybody's wrong for liking something because taste is totally subjective. And like we're saying, everybody's Logan is a little bit different. But as a whole, your room was positive on this. Can you maybe like show me a little bit more what it was? that like drew you guys in was it just that it was disconnected from his past yeah uh for me that that was a big part of it that it was just logan stumbling upon something it wasn't tied to any of his previous villains it wasn't him just completely out of control of himself the way that he cared for the baby and did all that he could in order to protect it even though he really didn't have any connection to the situation. Okay, so for you, it's the protector vibes that Logan issues toward this baby. Yes. Now, Jonah, where do you fall on this scale? 
this story felt very weird to me because in the first issue, those two stories made sense to me if you're trying to tell the narrative of Logan and you're giving the highlights of Logan's life and that if you want to be a Wolverine fan, this is what you should know. And if you're already a fan of Wolverine, let's take a moment of these cool stuff that happened in his backstory. This story just felt weird to me and a weird way to start off the second issue because I don't understand fully what this tells about Wolverine's character. I think there were probably plenty of other stories you could have chosen to talk about to help give an idea of what Logan is like. If this was later revealed that this girl was actually a mutant and then she's trying to repay her debt to Logan at some point, cool. That would be great. But I don't really see, I, I don't understand the point of this. It's a happenstance issue that's just, it's just weird. It, it, I, I I don't know my full, I don't know the best way I can describe it, but I, I was just weird. And I do get what you mean, because it really could have been a Batman story. It could have been a Punisher story. It also could have been a Rogue story. And it could have been a Captain America story. All of that to say, this is any hero who knows the right thing to do and isn't afraid of taking down some bad guys to do it. Now, why did we go through all of that again? Because it's really hard to take a look at this book in pieces. This book is such a holistic interpretation of Logan. And to be honest, the second issue just continues the trend. The second issue sees Vita Ayala and Greg Land, who... If someone had just told me that Greg Land pencils in black and white look great, I I don't even know what to say. There was hardly a put a dick in here in this entire section. I, I don't even know. <clears throat> Sorry. The two of them worked on Unfinished Business, a very late 80s kind of saber tooth battle romp. Then we had Saladin Ahmed and Kev Walker working on Seeing Red, which was a very late 80s arcade kind of story. And then we had Do We Die Today, which was Chris Claremont and his probably most common consistent partner of the last 25 fucking years at Marvel, Salvador LaRocca, doing what was essentially a an old school Wolverine and Kitty story, but setting it now and claiming it's Kate. Now, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I loved all three of these stories way more than I loved any any story in the first one. I genuinely thought if you were asking me to rate these six, these six little minis, I would say the second issue completely eclipses the first issue. I don't know if everybody else felt that way, but there was something a little bit more classic 80s and 70s about this issue, whereas the first one was a little bit grittier 2000s. And I found that an oddly sanguine, refreshing change from the first issue. Did anybody have anything that like, holistically, not just, you know, the individual stories, but something that stood out about this issue? Well, first of all, I completely agree with you with that ranking. I definitely feel like this entire issue is stronger than the first issue. As for something that particularly stood out for me, I found myself intrigued by the events of Unfinished Business, the the mystery around it, that I would would actually like to see that story continue where Logan went to find who had sent Sabretooth. Now, I really, I get what you 
mean. Like these stories make me want longer stories. Yeah. I don't want 12 issues based on these 12 short stories. I'd blind myself. Yeah. But Jonah, did something stand out about this issue for you as well? Like for me, it was definitely the classicism. For Kyle, it was what more there could be. But like what grabbed you about Wolverine, what I'm calling Wub number two? It was the relationship between him and Kate. It's, you know, that was the first time that Logan was given a child, basically, and told, here, you teach her, you have to take care of her. And literally from the moment that she's introduced, Wolverine is basically in love with her and wants to protect her and wants her to be the best woman that she can be. So having this story about them in Madripoor was so refreshing because it goes back to the earlier roots of Wolverine, and that's his relationship with Kate. And Wolverine would literally do anything for Kate. It's not, it's like not a question. Wolverine would actually burn the world down for her if he could, and then they'd find a way to live in the center of the earth together. For the record, Chris Claremont literally considers that like his end canon. He believes Hoxpox is real, and in his world, somewhere out there, at the end of time, Kate will somehow have a time machine to take care of Logan. I'm not kidding. The man said this to me. No, no. I was there with you when he said that to us. Oh my god, it was wild. It was wild. But that's how that's how he envisions every time iteration restarting is at the end it's just kitty and wolverine and i really do like that i also love that anytime there's a mutant in madripoor they have to go by a different name (laughs) they have (laughs) alternate names in madripoor and they're always garbage nobody's ever like my real name is scott summers what am i going by today just call me danish mcmuffin it's never like something weird unrelated my name is cyclops call me oculo and it's just like you're dressed the same you look the same that's a synonym wolverine does not dress the same because patches is always in a white three-piece suit patch one patch singular it's singular patch that's worse than patches it's worse than patches because now he is cyclops But I also learned that when Kitty adopted her codename Shadowcat, where that came from. So before we get into what was probably, I'm going to talk about that story for the rest of my life. We're going to get into that for a long time. I'm sorry. But first up, I thought Unfinished Business, it was like a banger. Like, and it was a banger in all the right ways. I get really mad when people are like, I'm going to do a throwback piece. (laughs) No, shut up. I don't need that. But what I do need is shit that feels like it could go right in without me blinking an eye. This could seriously go in the classic runs of Wolverine. This could slip into Marvel Comics Presents, and I would never know the difference. Vita and Greg Land are not two people I would put together. Greg Land is very kind of cheesecakey and um, aesthetically superficial. I'm not saying that his work is shitty. I am saying he is aesthetically superficial, okay? And I would never have expected the two of them to create such beautiful synergy in a single piece. But this was also a really cool way to see Sabretooth. This issue made me realize that the Logan we're getting from Ben Percy over in Wolverine and in X-Force, as well as from John Hickman, from the Hickser himself over in X-Men, that Wolverine doesn't have Sabretooth. That Wolverine has a great relationship with his son. That Wolverine doesn't seem to be bogged down by the virtue of of Weapon X, which he just recently escaped through his rebirth. That Wolverine is not the Wolverine everybody is coming to X-Men 
for, or at least with the understanding of. Vita telling this story says that they understood that fans are going to want to see that sort of classic matchup. And for a writer who is, you know, so few non heteronormative white men have ever written Wolverine in the first place. So that this is by a non-binary queer person of color? Shut the fuck up! That's number one, so important in terms of progressing the medium to a place that it should be. But the fact that Logan got a story he deserved, an actual classic throwback in this very, I can smell saber tooths here, snicked'em, snicked'em, right? Like, that's what I wanted. And now I just realized for the first time that Wolverine's secret base should be called the Snictum Snictorum. <laughs> and I could not help but notice that if you hadn't told me this book was new, I never would have guessed this book was new. I know we've had a little bit of Vita here and there. We had the pleasure of reading their work in X-Men Empire and the, you know, Marauders issue to end all fucking Marauders issues for the rest of time. This, other than New Mutants this week, which, what a fucking Vita week. Like, you know, a writer who we were promised was going to come on a year ago and, you know, did Prisoner X, which, terrific book, one of my favorite things about Age of X-Men. But Oh, that was Vita? You know, yeah. Oh, okay. We were teased Vita for so long, and now they're finally here, and it's multiple books in the same week. And I just got to be honest, like... This was one of the highlights of Wolverine and the Hoxpox Doc Sauce era for me, like truly. And again, I, I don't want to stress it like so super on the nose, but if you hadn't told me that this was a new story, I really could have seen this going in one of my classic Wolverine omnibi. How did you guys feel about this very classic Wolverine story with a very classic tone coming from a very modern team? I agree. I mean, it definitely feels like that uh, Wolverine that I, I'm i familiar with. I have to echo the sentiment that this was a really well-written Wolverine because it's a Wolverine that's enjoyable to read. I think Wol Wolverine is the Marvel character that if you want it to sell, you throw him in it. It's He's really popular and he's really used in a lot of promotional material for any kind of media because you know it's going to sell. I always enjoy when Logan is enjoyable to read because oftentimes when he's written so much I find that he may be spread too thin and the different voices they're trying to give him often don't align with who I view him as a character as and not to say somebody can't have a different interpretation but I think there are certain tenements to who Wolverine is that everybody should kind of stick to and then you can deviate from there afterwards so having this kind of be like this is Wolverine this is Logan Weapon X I was like yeah yeah it is this is Wolverine or Patch well this one was very like specifically for me Logan if that makes any sense like the baggage that is Sabretooth in my head is Logan and it's been interesting trying to navigate the hox pox of it without Sabretooth as Logan's nemesis and I think that's because Logan is so about what he has to face down whether it's his lack of memory it's his lack of humanity it's the fact that he wants Jean, but she belongs to essentially his best friend because back then women belonged to men. I mean, now Jean is the fucking bomb shit and she'll take your head off. And she always was. But now she's allowed to be without any men feeling threatened by it. And I feel as though Vita and Greg managed to connect with an ideology in Logan as a character 
that gets lost. Logan is a man searching to be better. He is not an animal putting on a human costume. And there was something really honest about this story. Now, I'm going to shock everybody because if you know me, you probably know that like my top three X-Men villains are like Shadow King, Mojo, and Arcade. The creepier and the more unsettling and the more skin crawly they are, the better they are for me, right? And I really didn't need Arcade in this second story. Arcade isn't a Wolverine villain to me. Like, sure, they've fought, but like, I like it when Arcade has trapped everybody in a pachinko machine. I like it when Arcade has everybody stuck playing freeze tag till they have hypothermia and they die. I like it when Arcade secretly pits 10 superheroes against each other and they all think they're fighting robots. Like, that's what I want. This Logan versus Arcade story, it kind of could have been any villain with a tech advantage. For that sake, I kind of would have maybe preferred it was Viper. I love Arcade, but this just like, if I were new to fandom and we've seen that Arcade is on the upcoming Reign of X image, I don't know that this would make me excited to see Arcade show up in the Reign of X. It felt just like, ah, oh, here's a villain, stick him in. And that's not an insult to the creative team because I did think that this issue had something I liked. We've seen a lot of the child is the victim of the parents, but this was a child worried about his parents being manipulated by an outside force as opposed to the outside force manipulating against the child. That turn on the dynamic that we saw in Two Stories last issue was significant for me. I did like that switch about. But again, this took one of my favorite characters in the history of comic books, Wolverine, who is easily my favorite male X-Man of all time. And it took one of my top three X-Villains ever, who, for those who don't know, my number two favorite X-Man of all time is Captain Britain. And Arcade got his start with Captain Britain over in the pages of Marvel Team-Up versus Spider-Man. And that is a story that I hold very near and dear to my heart. I have like a hundred ways of it. I have it printed a thousand ways. I have Claremont's signature on it. Like that's one of those things I'm going to like carry with me forever. Like I said, this took my favorite hero and one of my favorite villains in a good story that did nothing for me. Was anybody more moved by it? Did anybody level up or hit a high score or was it all game overs across the board? It was game overs for me, especially arcade. Okay. Here's the thing. I don't think arcade fits in the narrative of this, the, what this book is trying to sell because arcade is meant to be this very colorful, wacky character that you really enjoy these elaborate traps that he sets up and they're obviously super ridiculous and they're supposed to be ridiculous but this wasn't really an arcade where was like the fun game element of it like where where was like where was that where was the pinball machine where was wolverine confronting with mirror versions of himself where's the proletariat there's so many things here that are missing that doesn't just capture the essence of arcade that i feel like a different villain would have suited this better Arcade was a really weird choice to use because Arcade is meant to be this larger than this light wacko who torches the X-Men for some reason. And it was just, it, this is not Arcade. You don't, don't use Arcade if you're not going to give me Murder World. 
Yeah, so I enjoyed it, but yeah, this this wasn't to the same level that an arcade story uh, normally would be. It definitely felt too rushed for um, what we normally see with arcade. And the fact that what we ended up getting was kind of like a very rushed and violent version of Donkey Kong was a little weird. And... Maybe I'm not remembering my arcade stories very well, but does he normally pick unrelated innocence to use as the um the bait, I guess? No. Or, no. Well, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bigger picture it. Yes and and no. When like it's tough. It really is tough because like you know, a lot of the X-Men are fighting trees these days. Just don't know what it is, but there's a lot of flowers and trees coming after the X-Men. And they either want to seed your world or to protect flowers. And I don't know if anybody saw this, but a quote-unquote former member of horticulture is about to be the main villain in the upcoming Man-Thing mini. So I'm thrilled to see this idea that the X-Men's flower bad guys are growing. From there, you've kind of got the looming threat of the technological advancements that could come via Master Mold or through Nimrod. And, you know, we have those fears. But Arcade is kind of a very different psychopath. Mr. Sinister wants to experiment so that he can build an army of disgusting monsters. Apocalypse wants the strong to survive. Magneto wants mutants to prevail. Arcade just wants to kill for fun. And when he can get a Candy Southern or when he can get a Courtney Ross, I guess he just goes after blonde women or an Ileana. Jeez, God, get a new shtick, man. So when he goes after these people, it is usually to get at the hero. But in this instance, I will say the rando did feel kind of rando. And uh, this was just not the best use of a lot of great pieces. Really great pieces. This is kind of like a movie I liked in theaters that I'll never watch on streaming, if that makes any sense. Okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. What I am going to read until my balls fall off is that Claremont LaRocca story is such a fucking time capsule. Now, I have had some issues with Claremont in the last decade. Not that I don't think he's still talented. Not that I don't still worship the man for what he's given us, right? But there's, you know, he became ill at one point during his return to Uncanny, his 440 to 474. And he was still not quite at his Claremontianist during his Exiles tenure, which was Exiles 89 to 100, X-Men Die by the Sword 1 to 5, which coincided with New Excalibur 1 to 22, as well as launching his new volume of Exiles, The New Exiles, which ran a good 1820 issues. So from there, we sort of saw Claremont get reduced and reduced and reduced. He had that Nightcrawler ongoing. He had X-Men Forever for a while, two different volumes of it with, you know, diminishing results, unfortunately, on sales. And he's had a lot of specials and one shots, New Mutants War Children, which was so successful. It's getting a sequel. Very excited. Right. But, you know, he is a man stuck in time. Claremont does not rush forward to the future of comics very quickly. 
quickly. He is someone like Peter David, who even when he comes on to do a modern book, does it in his way, right? And if what's going on doesn't fit the tone of your thing, you're fucked, right? John Hickman has based a good quarter of Hoxpox on the work of Chris Claremont. And, you know, a quarter on Grant Morrison's new X-Men. And, you know, he's pulling from things like Nicieza and Lobdell's early 90s. And there's a lot of good to be found. But so Claremont coming in and writing something during the Hoxpox era, it, it leaves me nervous, right? And so then I open this story and he sort of makes no apologies for it. He's like, yeah, I'm just picking up where I left off. It's cool, grab a chair, everybody. I got drinks on the table for all of us, right? It is, it is, a, it is a really remarkable thing that Chris Claremont knows how to continue a story from where he put it down 25 years ago. This return to Madripoor, while true, it is adult woman Kate, and I can't take that from anybody. This could have easily been six months after the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries. This could have been at any point during the end of Claremont's tenure up through about 1992 when he left. This could have been at any point during his return, any point during Extreme X-Men, any point during his return to Uncanny. This was such a time capsule moment. I was concerned I was having like a brain freeze. I loved the reference to Tiger Tiger, but then we got Bruiser Brute. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that again. And, you know, we got to, I'm the best there is at what I do. And what I do is clearly the same thing since 1975. And I just, like, I really liked this, but guys, it, it, I, this was old chewing gum. Like, this was still just in my mouth after a while. And I loved it. I thought the art was some of the best work LaRocca's done in 10 years, maybe. This is some of my favorite LaRocca work since, oh man, maybe his, maybe his work on Excalibur or Uncanny. But holy shit, did anybody else feel quite the same rushing zeitgeist of youth that I did cracking this fucker open? Uh, of youth i mean no i wouldn't i wouldn't oh i'm so sorry my youth i read those stories when i was seven yeah (laughs) so i mean my youth i'm so sorry (laughs) where i where i read them in my 30s so for me i really enjoyed it 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 just felt like a fun romp and it brought my favorite pairing together with with uh kate and logan i i love when the two of them are together and like the the art was was absolutely stunning in this portion of the of the issue. And to that point, I feel like LaRocca really did understand how to make woman Kate. Now, I actually love how like natural Kate's hair looks in Marauders. There's something really beautiful about embracing her cultural heritage and giving her an honest natural look. I love it so much. But like this was Madripoor Kate, right? Like, this yeah. was like, yeah. this was hot. I loved this. I really did. It made me smile. It made me happy. And a lot of it was because Wolverine was kind of just like, that's my girl. That's my daughter. He was very proud daddy. And it wasn't really about Wolverine at all. It was just kind of showcasing how badass Kate is. And you know what? I'm okay with it. Because it kind of does show, again, if this 
entire issue, uh, these entire series is meant to basically be the showcase of Wolverine for new people to jump on or for old fans to love and reminisce about. This shows another side of Wolverine that we talk about and that we love, which is his fatherly, you know, protector side of wanting to see the people that he loves deeply and care for succeed and do well and be badass and awesome and, you know, punch baddies in the face. It's what he does best and seeing him take a backseat to have Kate have her awesome badass moment was amazing. You know, it's hard to tell what I would want from the next two issues. I want a lot. I want everything. Gimme, gimme, gimme. But I'm trying to think about the errors of Logan we can still hit. I guess we can hit awkward Gaijin samurai. I guess there's hopeless romance. Perhaps there's all the women I love are dead. Maybe there's a team story to be told, like an X-Force tale or something. But I don't know. I feel like these six stories together kind of paint a picture of a character I would want to know more about if I was new to the X-Men. Do you guys have any parting shots for the Snickter himself before we wrap this up and get ready to cover issues three and four? Mm, I don't know. I mean... I can't wait to see how the next issue's artists um, interpret the stories. I'm looking forward to seeing further deep dives into Logan's past. Maybe we'll get some time during the period when he was headmaster of the Jean Grey school. Maybe some time with Quentin. What I need to see from Logan is going through the history of his loves. I think we'll Wolverine is often defined by the women in his life and we haven't we got that with Kate but I think there are other women who need to be talked about in reference to Wolverine and I think those stories also deserve a chance So sometimes a book just kind of like gets in your head. And I knew when I read Sword that everybody on the X-Pack was going to have something they wanted to say about it. It's just that kind of title. And I wanted to hear what they all had to say. And in this next clip, Arturo, Josh, Rod, and Raven share some amazing perspectives on Sword, including the need for mutants that look different, mutants with disabilities, and how unusual it is to get so many characters representing such a diverse array in one title. I hope you guys love this segment because this was absolutely one of my favorite pieces we've done lately. All right, we're back here in the West Coast room to talk a little bit about Sword Number One. Written by Al Ewing with art by Valerio Schiti, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VCs Ariana Mo. In the wake of X of Swords and the dawn of the rain, we see the beginning of the fulfillment of past promises in regards to the development of mutant technologies, i.e. applications of combined mutant powers such as the Resurrection Protocol. And it is wild. <laughs> With me today, we have Raven. Raven, say hi and tell us where Hello, you're from. Hello, I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. Uh, come on and find me on the web. Just type in the name. You can find it everywhere. And with us, we also have Arturo. Hey, everybody. I'm Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. Come find me. And I'm joined by Rod. Hi, I'm Rod. I am Rod Kamada on Twitter, Instagram, and sometimes TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Thicker than a snicker. Thicker than a snicker. 
And I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L on Twitter and at asleepatthewheel.com. So we're, you know, our other group already went in depth on sword, uh, balls deep, if you will. And, I will. But we'd be remiss to not, because this was such a big issue, to not cover it at least a little bit. So uh, let's do a roundtable. Three things here. Just want to hear kind of everyone's responses. Um, quick take on the issue. Who were you happiest to see? Because we saw a lot of characters. Yeah. And we also had a bunch of data pages teasing and preparing us for the return of a whole bunch more. So who are you happiest to see in issue one and who are you most excited for in coming issues? We'll start with Rod. Rod, tell us about your... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Well, that's a totally different conversation, um, but I will talk about the the sword issue of X Men. Um, so I I was I love spaceship cosmic ship, and I've been getting more and more into that. So I was really excited for sword, and I love a lot of the characters like Wizkid from Inferno, Manifold, who a lot of the X Twitter actually doesn't know Manifold because he's never really been in the X book, and um, even Frenzy. I didn't really know Frenzy, but I was really excited to see her in this book. And all of them, they gave them such great spotlights in this mm-hmm. book, and. I'm, they made them look so beautiful and so amazing, especially Wizkid. I know a lot of people didn't like Wizkid. He was such a throwaway character, but he's so adorable. <laughs> and I love that Magneto is enthralled by him because, he, I mean, I think his power is really And I, I'm really excited for Manifold to get more of a spotlight because, like I said, Manifold has never been in an X-Book. He's been in Avengers. He's been a big part of Avengers Hickman run. He's been a big part of uh, Tanahasi Coates' Black Panther run, and he's a really strong powerful character and i'm just excited for him to actually get noticed in mm-hmm. the x-men fandom the x x pages our krakoa pages because i like we don't have that many black people <laughs> in, mm-hmm. the, in the krakoa in the mutantdom but we're getting more and more and this book just brought two more very powerful characters and they're on the te- the part of the six team they're they're part of the main forefront and i'm very happy to see that and, I'm and happy frenzy to see has frenzy's never looked better i mean Not just ever. she looks so beautiful and yeah I just had to jump in and say that. Like, just <laughs> frenzy nation. Mm-hmm. They look so good. And if you're not familiar with Joanna Cargill, go back and read uh, Age of X and the issues of uh, X-Men Legacy that followed that, where she got a lot of shine. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to have to do that. Valerio is, uh, they are so talented and it is so beautiful. And Magneto in this issue is a standout person. And man, I love the development they're doing for him this whole yeah. entire process. He is the Becoming one of my favorites again after a long while of not becoming my favorites anymore. So yeah, I'm excited for more of this book. And I want to agree with you on what you said about Valerio Skitty and his work on this. Um, he has been doing work for Marvel Comics for I want to say at least a decade. And I've subbed to and read whole runs that he's done the art on. This is far and away the most impressive work I have seen from him in all the years that I've I've been reading and seeing his work for Marvel. Um, just an amazing job. Something about uh, joining the X office seems to be bringing the best out of these artists. Uh, we've gotten stuff from Kassara beyond anything we'd seen before recently during X of Swords, the things that we got from R.B. Silva and Pepe Larraz, what we're getting from Phil Noto, what we're seeing now from Skeedy. Uh, it's 
months, the art has been, I can't think of a bullpen of artists like this that any line has had in the past where the art is so good and it goes so deep in contributors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a time to I be alive. <laughs> Listen, I got to point out something that uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm just, I didn't follow it 100%. I'm not 100% clear what happened in this issue. <laughs> I love Oh I, yeah, no, no, no. We I have no fucking clue what happened in this it, issue. But like, I have this, no it's idea. It's all just pretty I have and wild. If you want to hear it real quick. <laughs> Okay, Go for so it. that's the well. I have, it might not be true, but that's the white room. Um, yes, where the phoenix mm-hmm. crystal is, and right. that the phoenix obviously isn't in there because it's in, it's on Earth and a part of the Avengers right now. But it's still a very powerful crystal, and what they're going to do, it has still has a lot of powerful energy. And I feel like what they're going to do with that is try to maybe influence a lot of the cosmic destruction that's happening more in their favor. Like try to use that energy with the ship and everything. Now, are you referring to the? Emperor? That's what I thought it was. That, that my read on this 100%. Isn't the MCON crystal usually pink? Usually, it, yes. It's, it's pink. I think it's pink with um when the Phoenix is actually in it, but I don't know if it's pink when it's out of it. But that's what I was hearing when I was talking about my other cosmic people. It's definitely <laughs> never looked like this. I've never seen the MCON crystal depicted as like a little mm-hmm. black pyramid. Um, I could, but, yeah, it could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, it, it might be something <laughs> completely new, but it uh, that was my vibe too, was MCON crystal adjacent. But it was just such trippy stuff. You know what I mean? It, it, it wasn't these five are working on resurrection which is a complicated enough thing but it's you can kind of like see the uh you know the the way that they all tie together this was i think a little more out there in terms of combining the the different power sets and i loved it like i knew we were coming in and we were going to get quiz kid and we were going to get fabian cortez and we were going to get manifold like i and i was super excited for that for that promise and then to see that delivery but for me the the thing that just had me like doing cartwheels was all of the unexpected expected evil like seeing blink armor seeing amelia vaught like what i i was losing my mind like i haven't been this excited about a new book in i don't even know you know since maybe house and powers um and i've been excited about a lot of these books but this first issue like this to me felt more like a like a season premiere you know what i mean like we're we're starting this whole new show yes this is a pilot episode and the positive and it does that it does that job really well where it's like it's establishing the parameters you know we did like the mm-hmm. little walkthrough with magneto magneto's definitely our uh our, our stand-in character where we're discovering the space station through his eyes and it just really did the job of a pilot episode and teased so many different possibilities that you end it and you're just like oh, the sky's the limit like we there's going to be so much space here to do so much with different powers different characters uh just like the most exciting first issue i i, I remember <laughs> i like you brought up the use of magneto as an outside character because it was really interesting the way that we were presented with the six compared to the way we were presented with the five right when hickman gave us the five he laid it out like a step-by-step instructional plan so we understood all of it this was the opposite like this is all mystery and mystique like we just know that it's an impossible machine that allowed them to make an impossible journey to get an impossible 
impossible object. Like why they continue to use this, how they continue to use this, the extents, the abilities, the ways to manipulate, like what they're actually doing with this, like we know little to nothing about. It's all going to need to be revealed. Um, And so we were able to get kind of that mystery and intrigue aspect of it by seeing it from the outsider's perspective of Magneto, as opposed to, you know, say, you know, having a data page that was WizKids schematic of exactly how this thing works. Well, and I mean, they said they they even give us a splash page on it and then um, showed it. They are doing things like fastball specials. They're learning how to combo their powers. So, yeah, it was so so much. That data page entry where it says that that that, like that it gives that example as being the first example of uh, of mutants, you know, synchronizing their powers was just Mm -hmm. so great. It was such a good way of like dumbing down the whole concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, just so neat. There, there's so much that can be done here. It's it's crazy. And there, there's so many more characters. And it, it goes back to Hoxpox and the promise of mutant technologies, which we first saw with the five. And we've seen teased a lot more, um, as you guys mentioned in the last episode, um, talking about Marauders. We've seen with the combination of powers for battle plants, uh, things like Bishop's School. And we saw in X-Men 10 with uh, Magneto working with, was it Amara and yes. Iceman? Yep. Amara and Bobby? For that one. So yeah, like... Like these deep combination of powers to, you know, accomplish, you know, new, more complicated processes, you know, more this technology, it's an it's an adaptation for, you know, advancement for new complex processes is really, really interesting. And, you know, a very exciting part of the future. Well, and I love that Excalibur and Apocalypse were were delving into the concepts of mute magic and how that, you know, according to Apocalypse has been, you know, it's nothing new. Uh, and I just I love that this is so similar and it's it's almost like the same thing but with different with with different mm-hmm. forms to it you know mm-hmm. uh, but it's just a, a very very similar concept and i just I, I think it's so cool how they're how they're fleshing it all out and how they've got backups and you know like they they've got a deep roster of mm-hmm. characters and i i need to know who's been redacted from this right like oh, that's yeah. that's yeah. like what they do is, uh, so many redactions so much. they do that oh, just to really do. <laughs> the whole issue was just so delicious and you know you have brand walking magneto around I mean, you got to see such this beautiful, huge cast of characters. I squealed so hard when I saw Blink. She has been one of my favorite characters that I thought was so underutilized for like so long. So, 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 so long. I freaking love her. So to see her in the sword uniform on the transportation, uh, long distance transportation team. Oh my God. I was so happy. And just, I, I... I can't pick one character. I love them all because you can tell so many of them have been underutilized. Um, and now you're getting this really great fresh start. And just like Brian said, this isn't about one island. This isn't about one mutant. This isn't about one tiny group. This is about the universe. This is about inner, you know, intergalactic kind of stuff. So it's going to be great to see this uh, beautiful opening up of a whole new universe of basically mutants in space, as it were. Mm-hmm. Although if we could get rid of one person, peepers. Oh my God. Oh, oh, that was, that was, that was oh. no. You leave my peepers it alone. So dramatic. Oh, he was that's... so so traumatic. Like I just, I just don't need to see his face. I just don't need to see his face. 
Peepers goes back to Peter I David know. X Factor oh, Volume no. 3 where he died. No. And it was hold on, sad hold on. He goes and I'm so happy that Peepers is back. Uh, I've been waiting. No, wait. I learned something so, recently here too, Josh. I thought that's what this was, that Peepers was a callback to that mutant from the Peter David run that was killed, and right? That And Siren found his body. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no. It's it is. beyond that. That character. Oh, it is. It's that character, but he even has like an old history with Magneto going back to like Silver Age. Yeah. Somebody posted yeah. a panel yes. of that and I was like, wait a minute. That ca- I didn't realize he was a callback when Peter David did it. But yeah. Yeah, Peter David was calling back to Silver Age when he killed him. Ah, so you run. were in on it. But I no, had no idea. I've been waiting for him from the Peter David run. And, um, and it's obvious, I mean, that character is very clearly supposed to be Ivan. <laughs> like they are... They are giving Peepers oh. all of iBoy's powers. Like, obviously, Al Ewing needed iBoy, but Leah got yes. him first. Um, and I love that they, you know, dug around in the trash bin and found Peepers and are bringing him back. Yeah. And then Fabian Cortez is jealous of Peepers. Oh, wait. So, oh, speaking of Fabian Cortez, my one qualm can I give one qualm with the lineup and the backups and, and all of the mutants mentioned? Mm-hmm. I take issue with the fact that Unision is nowhere to be seen, right? Eunice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, so she was a character that was a daughter of Eunice. I didn't even know that at the time. Uh-huh. And she was a, an acolyte. So if you've got Amelia Vaught running around, you've got Fabian Cortez running around. It's mm-hmm. crazy to me that that she wasn't mentioned as a backup because her the backup for armor is um, is Skid, which is amazing. The person too. I'm most excited yes, about Skid. It's Skid, <laughs> Sally. I want Skid's back so yes. bad. I want I skids. skids, so do I. I want skids, but I want Eunice as well. Eunice, yeah. For- well, and I mean, and I think that's kind of the problem with that is that armor is your most popular of the characters who have powers that can be used in those ways to tell stories. Armor goes yeah. first always. They brought, dug up Unis, and I was sad that they didn't dig up skids for, you know, the opening of X of mm. Swords. Now, you know, they're giving skids some, but yeah, there, there only seems to be room for so many of them, and there is definitely like a hierarchy based on popularity. Mm. Well, um, you say that, but then you turn your attention over to the teleporters. On I know. I want all of them. We I want all the greedy. I want all, I want of, them. all of them. I want all of them. Yeah, yes. All of them forever. But mainly skids. I just love that we're getting more mutants that don't look like models, like keepers yes. and all some other ones. Like not every mutant needs to look like their um, six tall, you know, celebrity models. And I love that because not all mutants do, and they should get celebrated too. And I love that Magneto was so in love with hers and over the other like blonde white dude. <laughs> it was, yeah. oh. oh, he did that just to fuck oh, with Fabian Cortez because Fabian Cortez is the biggest oh, asshole definitely. in X-Men. Oh, yeah. Him, him acting like he doesn't even remember Fabian Cortez ever existed was <laughs> so gratifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Fabian sucks. Yeah, no, that was, Mag- Magneto was being queen petty um, in this issue. Absolutely. And, you know, I like what you said about the kind of non-traditional looking. It's been something that's brought up a number of times. I know that, I want to say it was Brian K. Vaughn who had Chamber teaching class on kind of mutants trying to be in the world or be in relationships when, you know, they look like Chamber or Glob or, you know, when, when they just aren't yeah. human enough. And we also had a great, great issue of Domino 
Domino from Gail Simone, where she had Nightcrawler doing a sword oh, yeah. And yeah, I love that idea and bringing those in. And, and you know, any time that we see that being addressed and them having a yeah. space is so, so good. Uh, and this book is clearly trying to do that by making room for, you know, making sure that it features, you know, characters with disabilities. Yeah, that's good. Characters <laughs> who, you know, don't look traditional and yeah, like and characters with big creepy oh. eyeballs. I was oh, not prepared. I just love that we have WizKids. I don't think we've ever, except for like Xavier, had like a character in a wheelchair that is actually like a person of color as well. Like it's this it's mm. great representation for a lot of disability people that don't get a lot of heroes. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's them. a and it's an interesting you know problem to tackle here with Krakoa because obviously with the resurrection protocols there can be changes made. I mean, just look over at Xavier walking around in his little <laughs> in his little sexy cat suit, like you know what I mean. So there's something to be said and i think there's still a story to be told there uh on whether or not Wizkid has been resurrected um and how much of the chair is just kind of like does he need it or is it he's comfortable there you know what i mean like yeah. it's it's something that i think that it'll be cool to see them explore that definitely. and it's a little bit we're definitely gonna see that yeah and it's future. a little bit different than some of the characters who with bionic limbs right like mm-hmm. that's a different topic to talk about but yeah seeing him you know whizzing around in a, in a cool hover hovercraft chair was was awesome yeah and there like there's a couple characters that you know off the top of my head i would say chamber is probably of all characters who would want to be changed i think chamber would be near the top of the list because chambers isn't about his power chamber like chamber is very powerful and he didn't know how to do it and he blew half of his fucking face Mm -hmm. off and it's been a bane of his life ever since and he's seen when other people mimicked or synced or absorbed his powers that they're able to use them just fine with out blowing half of their mm-hmm. face off like chamber deserves the chance to kind of come back and get his face that's off. how i feel about hellion and his missing hands like it broke my heart when when he lost them, you know mm-hmm. but, uh, and, and then you have someone like forge who i don't think would want his right. like i don't think forge would want his limbs back like they what he's gone through in his life of being an amputee and building himself better as a result of it I don't think that he would yeah, want them back um, if he was to go through the resurrection protocols. Karma as well. I think Karma would want her leg back. I, that's so? that's one of the yeah because it with Forge it feels like something that yes has been and is part of his character from the beginning and and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. But with Karma, I mean, we saw that happen on panel and it was in the middle of a big fight with Cameron Hodge and I don't know I don't I don't think I, I think that it was like her just getting maimed you know. True, that is mm-hmm. different. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I I, I kind of lump her in the same box with with hellion in terms of but yeah i mean it's it's a really interesting thing to to talk about and it's and it's really interesting that um, that there's no quick solution and and fix that they're just using for everybody right it's not just yeah everybody comes back hail hardy and whole it's uh it's a little more nuanced than that like cyclops why why hasn't cyclops come back uh with the ability to control his eyes right like why is he still reliant on a ruby cord spicer because then there would be one less thing for him to be sad about exactly <laughs> no seriously like that's that, that's i think that's the reason that like that's not the reason he does it for himself but that's the reason the character the writers keep him with the visor well i think it just looks cool i think and it, it looks look cool. cool it's his signature look yeah like, yeah it looks cooler than if he was just shooting you know beams out of his eyes like superman it looks cool yeah, because then he would be superman yeah <laughs> well no he'd just be kind of well remember a lot of his is due to psychological damage yep. as well you know we're talking about there was 
brain damage and issues that happened in accidents when oh. he was a kid. So when you're uploading his consciousness and memories from Cerebro, like that, that's a different type of fix that I'm not sure. Like, you know, can you re-download the Cyclops without yeah. that? That, like, that That's a whole, that that's a whole different thing. Same than thing like with Havoc. They couldn't fix Havoc. Therapy. Yeah. They couldn't fix Havoc enough if they re-downloaded yeah. him. He's still messed up. So. Yeah, he's still in the Hellions. He's still... <laughs> He still needs therapy. So much therapy.